0: What's going on, everybody? This is your boy Mar with another episode of the Mar and Ham Show. And today's guest, we have a very special one. To call this guy, just a regular guy in the industry is an understatement. This guy has been doing it for quite a while, so it's safe to say he's a legend. He's a songwriter, MC, actor, host. He's also from Brooklyn, New York. The legendary Torre. How are you, Torre?
1: What's up? What's up, man? Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for being a part of this, man. How was your day going so far, bro?
1: Uh, so far, so good. You know, staying busy is the weekend. But, you know, when you when you're a hustler, when you're an entrepreneur, you work 24 seven. So.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Especially in the entertainment industries. It's 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 a uh, there's no nine to five in the industry.
1: Nah, it's a sun up to sun up.
0: Sun up to exactly, exactly. And it's Super Bowl weekend, too. So it's, I'm pretty sure you're also busy handling stuff like that as well.
1: Actually chill. I'm just gonna be a spectator and watch the game. I didn't travel um last oh. week, you know, with the Grammys and yeah. um with everything I had going on, all stars next week, so I just like took the Super Bowl weekend off.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. And with the Grammys, I saw that you captured one of the one of the iconic moments between Rakim and Hove.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was just the hip hop gods putting me in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, walking down the hall with Rakim and chatting with him and then Seeing Jay Z come from the opposite direction and just feeling like it might be a moment. Um, I'm not the guy to like walk around with my camera out and my phone out and try to catch right. everything. I actually missed a lot of the good shit, but um, um. that moment, you know, I was just like there and they were there and I just went for it. And um, yeah. I'm just happy that people got a chance to see that yeah. moment and received it so well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, especially like, Cause you know, Hove, Hove's not a big camera guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, Every time you point yeah, a camera yeah. up, Hove's like, nah, nah, nah. Take that shit off. Take that shit like, off. Like, exactly. You know, cause he comes from that cloth. No cameras yeah, around. exactly. So for you to capture that, it was like, yo, you, you don't want to miss that moment at all. You know what I mean? So yeah, Hove,
1: Hove let me slide. He let me slide.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, for those who aren't too familiar, who is Torre and everything? Give us your upbringing and everything. I know you're from Brooklyn, New York, but what was it like growing up in Brooklyn?
1: Uh, Yeah, man, I'm from Coney Island, you know, super specifically. And growing up in Coney Island, you know, in the the 90s, like when I was like coming of age was amazing. You know, like Mm -hmm. the music was incredible. The fashion, um, I think so much incredible art was created during that time. Television and film, obviously, so many iconic golden era albums and production was, was made in that time. Um, You know, and then we was just running the streets. We was kids and young and energetic and like the crack epidemic was going down. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it just was like it was so much um, that we were living through. When I reflect on it, I think about how crazy it was and how amazing it was at the same time. Um, But that's when you're living through it, you're just living every day. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like you're not even realizing that you are part of this iconic period in time and. You know, yes. until you go older, and if you if you're fortunate enough to get some years on you, you can look back mm-hmm. at it and say, "Wow, look how crazy it was."
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, the '90s was was something special for New York. Whether it was fashion, whether it was you know hip hop, you know, whether it was Man. it was just everything. You know, I mean, it was just everything. So I'm I'm I kind of like I'm kind of mad that I missed that era because I'm 33. You know what I mean? So I'm, the '90s, I was mostly a kid, but I grew up in Europe, so I didn't Man. really get a chance to like. But when I came here, you know, the first thing I was taught was hip hop. You know what I mean? I came in the 2000s. I moved to D.C. and then the introduction was hip hop. You know what I mean? And it was like right in my face. I was like, yo, hip hop is pretty dope. Like the Source magazine kind of helped me with the history, with all of the jazz. And it's like, yo, hip hop is pretty dope. And I started watching like Spike Lee movies. And then Mm -hmm. that's when I got familiar with Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. I was like, yo, Brooklyn is
1: amazing amazing let me finish that sentence for you brooklyn is incredible um i'm so happy and, and fortunate to be from there grow up mm-hmm. and coney Island, in my part of town but also just to travel throughout right. the borough you know run through Red hook uh be out in fort green you know get chased through benson <laughs> hang out in bed Stuy. you know like just all of it it, it like Created this fiber that I am.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and
0: it's most of Brooklyn right now, because I I lived in Brooklyn as well. I lived in New York per se, but it's mostly gentrified, and so I feel like it's lost a little bit of that touch.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, a lot of the um the authenticity isn't there. You know, mm-hmm. and the gentrification. You know, it's 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 a gift and a curse. Honestly, like you want right. the neighborhoods to be safe. And you want to have places where you could eat and and spend time with your family and shop or whatever, but to lose, you know, like the, the fabric of the neighborhood and the complexion and the real identity and price people out, you know, like people who've been there their whole life can't afford to stay there. That's the negative side of it.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, like some, some of the neighborhoods are still the same, like, you know, Brownsville, you know, some, some of them are still, they still hold that, that original Brooklyn.
1: A little bit of East New York, a little bit of the Ville, Mm -hmm. but like Best Eye is different and Fort Greene is different. And, you know, like Williamsburg, even parts of like Bedford, you know what I'm saying? Like all of those, they they slowly but surely the tide is changing.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, growing up in Brooklyn, what were some of your biggest inspirations? Well, New York overall, because, you know, as soon as you step out of New York. Out the door in New York, five million things are just in front of you. So you're like, is <laughs> all over. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, That's what right. is this? So I remember when I first moved to New York in 2011, I always had a dream of like, I'm going to move to New York. So I moved there for acting school. But the first thing that popped in my house, like, yo, this this is like, this is so many things are happening right now. Like you got to move fast. You can't be slow. You got to, you know, you just got to keep mm-hmm. up with everything. And it's just, and you have to be rough around the edges. Like my attitude, cause I come from the DMV area. That's where I mainly grew up in America. So I went from like a slow place to like a fast place. And I had to like, get out of that nice guy mentality. I had to be rough around the edges. What was that yeah. like growing What was that like for you growing up? That were your inspirations. I mean, what inspired you?
1: Uh man like you said man I was inspired every day like because you would walk out your door and you never knew what was going to happen. You never knew who you were going to see, what you were going to see, what was going to transpire. So like just like I said man, just being in that environment during that time was such a lesson in life. Um obviously the music inspired me to fashion. I'm watching music videos and shout out to Ralph McDaniels and Video Music Box and hearing hip hop on the radio and you know, this was this is a time where you had to wait to hear your favorite song. You couldn't just pull out your phone and play it and stream it on YouTube. Like, you had to wait hours to, mm-hmm. to hear hip-hop. And, you know, a lot of times you weren't hearing some of those records until the night, because it's a yeah. show. Like, during the day, they wasn't even playing, like, the real, real gritty stuff. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, just all of that, man, having to run around with your friends all day and not knowing when y'all was going to link up because you couldn't just text them. So, yeah, just man, yeah. just you know, those those times are really, really incredible times. Just like kind of coming of age and really like creating the person that you grew to be.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned like you 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 didn't have the music in the palm of your hands. You know what I mean? So you had to wait for like you hot ninety seven was a big commodity back then. You know, oh, for sure. if, if, if Funk Flex told you, yo, at seven p.m. I got an exclusive, whether you it was sitting, a disc, whether it was, it was a dick. Sitting
1: still right yeah, there. You're just spreading like spreading the
0: radio. Yeah. Yep. Just like boom. Like when the Ether came out, that's when I was like, yo, yeah. what's gonna happen with Ether? Like, Nas is an exclusive. Da 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 da, da Nas. Six months after Jay zs Here Comes Nas with Ether, everybody was glued.
1: Yep. That he was, was like, the time like same with T V. Like we all had mm-hmm. to go to the TV at the same time to watch Martin or mm-hmm. to watch, you know, the Cosby show or right. watch Wayne's Brothers or whatever, like you all, everything happened in real time. We all had to collectively be in one place at one time mm-hmm. um, with one focus, you know. And that's mm-hmm. that's a big difference than what we do now. People kind of consume at their leisure, but like you was going to school the next day, talking to your friends about the episode of Martin, you know what I'm saying, or Jamie Foxx or whatever. So like, you know, those those moments you can't ever get back or recreate, but it definitely. Mm-hmm. When you think back about it, you think about how dope it was.
0: Yeah, it also shapes who you are in the end. You know what I mean? It helped you shape as an MC. You know what I mean? So, uh, with that come with that, you started. You you became an MC and everything. How how did what inspired you to go that route?
1: Um, I mean, you know, like I don't know a world pre hip hop. You know, like me me coming up at the time that I did in the place that I did, hip hop was all around me, and it just felt like the natural thing to do. It wasn't ever like, yo, I'm gonna be a banker or I'm gonna be a, an astrologist or I'm gonna be, you know, a, a truck driver. It was hip hop. It spoke to mm-hmm. me, it spoke for me, and it was the easiest um if you will entry into the music industry because all I needed was a notebook and a pen. And if I didn't have mm-hmm. that, I could use the back of a paper bag in a pencil or a crayon (laughs) or a broken crayon or I could memorize, right? So like for for kids who didn't have much coming up in the time that I did, rhyming and rapping was just the the easy... It wasn't easy to do, but it was the easiest way for you to kind of get into the game because you didn't need too much to start. Like if you wanted to DJ, at some point, you had to get equipment. If you wanted to produce, at some point, you had to be able to get in the studio. But if you just... Wanted to be a dope MC. All you needed was was right in front of you was a pen and paper.
0: Yeah, that's all. It's all and and then somebody and and a radio hookup.
1: <laughs> well, that came later. That's if you really wanted to be in. But just right. to like, just to just be dope, just to work on your craft to write rhymes. Right. You know, that was the simplest the simplest tools that you needed was already right there. You could go mm-hmm. to school and steal somebody's notebook and pencil
0: hmm I mean, especially during those days, pen had to sharpen another pen. You know what I mean? You had so mm-hmm. many it was all about lyrics. You no, know, people didn't really focus no much as like the beats were there, but it's it wasn't as like, yo, know, the lyrics were more important. I feel like that 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 art is kind of lost nowadays. Like people more focus more on the beat now. It's like, yo, know, if the beat is hot, that mm-hmm. song's high. But okay. what is he saying? You know what I mean? Because you look at Nas, you know, Nas always gets, you know, they're always like, they always criticize him for like he always picked back uh, bad beats but the lyrics were there so you kind of over oversaw the beat you're like what is not saying in this record you know what i mean what is right. what or prodigy what is prodigy saying in these records Yeah, it was all about lyrics so you couldn't just and then the art of freestyling you know you had like big l you know what i mean you had all of right. these it was just the, the the art of it was just different so it, it, yeah it was not, you know we was, had
1: like cyphers right like people right. go outside and cypher so mm-hmm. you could walk up into a crew of five or six or ten or fifteen people and everybody was just rapping so somebody was beatboxing or somebody was banging on the table but the focal point like you said was lyrics like who was mm-hmm. going to get the most oohs and ahs? and that's what we spent so much time in just trying to write the wittiest shit, or trying to figure out the newest way to say what we had already heard before mm-hmm. Um, or to come up with the illest vocabulary right. and like, damn, you know, you want to read more or you want to learn more words mm-hmm. or you want to learn more definitions so that it can, it can enhance your lyricism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, 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 and I think that Nas gets a bad rap, just to go back to that, because when I go back and listen to the albums, I'm like, yo, I think we were so harsh or so critical yeah. on Nas because we had such high expectations. But when you really listen back, a lot of those records that people, oh, that's not the best, Records
0: are still hard. A lot of those lyrics went over your head, and then Man. as you got older, you're like,
1: you "Had to learn, yeah, yeah." Oh to learn shit.
0: shit! Now I know what it means, and some of them are still like when you go back to listen to them, you're like, "Yo, that shit makes sense nowadays. It's so relevant to today's world." You know what I mean? Some of them were so ahead of their time with their lyrics. It's like, "Yo," one of my favorites is Big Pun. Mm-hmm. The, the, his, his penmanship was and his breath control remember breath control is another important thing in in, in hip-hop or and and, and and that's a okay. breath control is everything so for, for a guy that that heavy that just that breath control that you know that that in the middle of literally literally there's like whoa where mm-hmm. did where did he come from from this so it's just it's crazy now you also had the djs you know what i mean and we happened to work with one of the best djs which is dj Premier. Words.
2: well just you know my what i mean praying.
1: yeah praying, that's my brother man um so fortunate to have him as a friend in this business, to have him as a collaborator in this business. Um, and even long before we met, he inspired me and shaped so much of what I was mm-hmm. doing. Um, you know, it's it's crazy when you really think about it. When I look back on it, like, man, Prem, like I talked to Prem, what's today? Saturday? I, I talked to Prem Thursday. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. that's just nuts.
0: Right. It's the longevity, bro. Like, I mean, Gangstar, you can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's something you've learned for Preem uh, when you work with him?
1: Oh, man, so much. First and foremost, rest in power, the guru, for sure. Yeah. Shout out to the whole Gangstar Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, man, Preem, you know, one thing about me when I first started recording, in my mind, if I messed up a line, I would want to do the whole verse over. Um, yo, let's take it from the top. Let's take it from the top. Right. And one of the things that when I first started recording with Preem was Preem would do a line. He'd be like, yo, just say this line. I'd be like, just the line? He'd be like, yo, just say this line. And sometimes he would just punch one word and do the quick in and out. And that was something that I learned from him because I thought that in order to have the best verse, you had to continuously go over the whole entire verse and and not punch in. Like, punching Mm -hmm. in for me was taboo. And when I first worked with Preem, he was the person that made me open to punching in, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. he like, nah, the rest of that shit sound crazy. And even on parts where you fuck up or your voice you know crack or something, he like, nah, that's that's what make it raw. That's what make it authentic. So that's mm-hmm. definitely something that I could super pinpoint that I learned from Prem was mm-hmm. the art of punching in and it not being a negative thing, but really enhancing and making your record even better.
0: Mm-hmm. And not to, not to mention the scratching and the extra added Ad-libs oh, on there. That I mean, Breed yeah, and... of course.
1: Preem. When I would cut records with Preem, and, like, he would make the beat, and I'd be, like, you know, in the other room watching a movie or something, and he, I would come in, and he'd be like, yo, the beat is done, and i go in, and i write, and then I would cut the vocals, and then I'd be like, all right, go do your Preem shit. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, <laughs> and, and he would call in a day or two, and he'd be like, yo, I, I got the hook. Come in. And I would come in, and he press play, and it was always magic, man. But, you know... When you cut, or or he would continue to produce the beat. You know, he would add something to the beat or just find the most perfect, like, phrases for the scratches and shit. So, you know, like, it was like a two-part thing when you recorded with Prane. It was like, Mm -hmm. well, three-part. First, he would make the beat. Then you write the lyrics and cut the vocals. And then you would come back and hear the hook.
0: When I listen to your to your uh, to your rap, I'm always thinking. I'm like, I wonder if Ski Beats would be dope to work with because I mean, he used to be my mentor. Ski Beats mentored me a little bit with the Ableton and the and the MPC, and then so and you tell me stories and everything. But he him and preem have such a similarity to one another. It's I'm like, is
1: man Ski? You know, I mean, obviously his work on Reasonable Doubt, his work with camp low even later on his work with Currency. Like Ski is definitely Mm -hmm. one of those guys that. And he's a dope ass MC. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's One of those guys that I was super inspired by coming up, and he's one of the few people, honestly, that I have not worked with oh, um, in this business for years. I would love to work with Ski.
0: Bro, it's it's magic because you'd sit with him, and he'd be. And I remember I sat with him like twice or three times, and he'd be. And I didn't know nothing about the AB, the MPC. I was I was such a no the machine, not the MPC, the machine. Mm-hmm. I was such an Ableton dude. And he was like, "All right, here's the here's the machine." I was like, "All right, well, what do I do here?" To do? He's like, "Oh, you want me to baby you in this?" I was like, hey, "You gotta,
2: <laughs> you gotta baby
0: me in this, bro. I'm not, I'm, you know, the push is the push. Like the, the Ableton push is that. I got that, but I need you to do." And he would be like, "All right, we'll take a shot of the cognac really quick, and let's get to it." <laughs> and then he would tell me stories and stories and stories. And one of the stories he told me was him and Big L had a tape together, but he lost it during a move when he was moving. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. That's the wildest fun. When he told me that, I was like... He was like, those were some of the best lyrics I'd
2: ever... I can imagine. Damn, that's crazy, man. So What's up The big aisle, for sure, for sure.
0: So I'm like, I wonder who has that floppy disc, bro. I'm like, where is that floppy disc at? And who it's has, somewhere,
1: right? It's, it's somewhere.
0: Somebody's holding that shit like a treasure. And it's like, motherfucker, you got that, motherfucker. But, but yeah, and then like stories with Jay, how he came up with like, he gave up rap once Jay offered him $8,000 for the beat. And Crazy. Ski Beats was like, I'm done rapping. Like, this is what I'm going to be focused on. You know what I mean? Man. It's just, you got to definitely do something with him. I mean, he's he's super inspiring, bro. He's just, you sit there for hours and hours and hours and hours, and he's just like super inspiring, bro. It's definitely one of those. What was it like uh, working with Nine- One there as well? Because that's another legend right there.
1: Man, um, you know, ninth, my time with Knife has always been amazing. Um, what I like about Ninth and you know, just like the whole Jamla and Pride Stat Justice League, was I would take trips down to North Carolina and shout out to Sean Dawn mm-hmm. and Mega Benetton, who really were like the conduits to make that happen. Um, but yeah, man, I, I got in with Sean Dawn. We became fans of each other's lyrics and, and MC skills, and he invited me and my, my my group at the time, The Coalescence, down in North Carolina to work. And we went in and we worked with Crisis. And I remember working with Crisis and maybe E. Jones for like four days. And I was like, man, when when mm. is Knife? When is Knife? When is Knife? And on the day I was set to leave, Knife was like, yo, I can work today. And I went in with Knife and the rest is history. The very first project that I was officially on was uh Knife Wonder's album. Uh what was the name of that album? The Dream Merchant, Dream Merchant 2. Mm-hmm, that's the mm-hmm. first, like, that's my first official credit featured on the record that actually came out on a label.
0: Sheesh. Again, you, you're very fortunate, bro. Like, when I looked at their, the history, I was like, yo, this guy is, no wonder he's he's at where he's at with it. You know what I mean? You know, and it was, it was a matter of time, right? Because you put in so much fucking work. And then... You know what was what, what's 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 the uh, what's your writing process like? How do you prepare to write when you are ready to go in and write a lyric or you know a full verse?
1: um uh, I like to be inspired, you know, and that could be from like an idea I have that I want to get out or it could just be from listening to beats um, mm-hmm. but when I was a kid, it was all about writing as many rhymes as possible and mm-hmm. having you know like a shit ton of verses and a shit ton of lyrics. Now my process is different because I write when I'm ready to record something. Like when I want to get a record out, you know, and I don't mean out like put out for the masses, but when I want to get it out of me, that's when I write. So I'm working on some stuff now. And so I'm listening to beats, but the beat, the beat come in and the beat is really the catalyst. I hear something to get my head nodding and then I just start mumbling lines, you know, and they start coming up with flows. And then before I know it, I got four bars and it's eight bars. And once I get to about eight bars or 10 bars, then I'm like, all right, let me record this or let me voice note this before I forget it. And that's the beginning of a song. Um, but it, it starts with the beat for me or it starts with me saying, damn, I want to record about this. Let me listen to some music and let me find something that works with it.
0: Very simple. You I mean? Simple. Yeah, yeah,
1: super simple. And I write. I still write. Like, I'm a right. pretty bad guy. Um, obviously, with the advent of so much technology and being on the go, I write rhymes in my phone too, but anytime I could sit down and actually put pen to paper, right. it's just you know, it's just it's just something therapeutic about that.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What well, what what has been your favorite session? You like favorite studio? Oh session? Oh my too? goodness gracious!
1: <laughs> so many man, like right. like no bullshit. Um, you know, I remember Clear as day the first time I I got the chance to work with Premier was myself and Sky Zoo when we did Get It Done. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting on opposite ends of the couch, coming together with our verse and seeing the excitement in Preems' eyes and knowing, like, damn, if we nail this, we're going to have a record with DJ Premier. This is the first the first go-round, right? I'm like, shit, mm-hmm. it's, like, amazing. Um, you know, being with Knife, man, and his process, and Knife like to play the music loud, and he'd pop his head all wow, You know, he's a big <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah.
2: His, head,
1: his head nod is so flagrant. Like, he'd be all over with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, or or recording with Large Professor and mm-hmm. him coming in and just, you know, just his his quirkiness, you know, like the things that make him the mad scientist, like just kind of mm-hmm. being in there and absorbing all of that. Same with Pete Rock. You know, I remember we was working on the beat. Pete had sent me like some beats and the beat I picked, when it was time for him to track it out, we went to the studio and we was going through, he was going through disc after disc after disc <laughs> and he might have got to like yo. He might have got to like disc fifty or sixty, and it was the very last nice. one. You know what I'm saying? So like sitting there, and like almost sweating, like oh shit, this record is not gonna get done because you don't have the disc for only for it to go all the way through the very last disc and that be the mm-hmm. one. Like mm-hmm. shit, like that is magical.
0: Jeez, and you mentioned Large Professor. I mean, yeah, Large 90. Pro.
1: Marco Polo, you know, like working with Marco and his new, his new affinity for cats. And, you know, him is like, he's chain smoking, chain coffee drinking. It's really toxic, but (laughs) we make the best music, you know?
0: Right? I mean, shit, coffee works. I mean, coffee keeps your brain moving and moving and moving (laughs) and moving. So you're just (laughs) constantly. Yeah, that guy's
1: like, coffee, cigarette, coffee, cigarette. But I got to commend Marco. uh, I believe he is cigarette free for the whole entire 2023 so far
0: i mean that's good shit i mean yeah that's it's,
1: beautiful that's
0: beautiful to see but the coffee you can't it's hard to it's, it's hard to give a coffee
1: yeah no mm-hmm. coffee is not as not mm-hmm.
0: as bad you need that essential. yeah for sure for sure uh what about some hobbies what are some hobbies you like to do when you're outside of everything that you do
1: um there is no time <laughs> my <laughs> life my life is my hobby bro if we're being honest and i nice. know like maybe that it sounds cliche or Maybe that doesn't sound authentic, but like all the shit that I do is shit that I would do for free. And that's Mm. like hosting events or being on the radio or songwriting or, you know, like all of the shit that I do or being on TV, acting and auditioning. These are just things that I'm genuinely excited about, things I want to do my whole life. So the fact that I make a living from it and get paid to do it is most definitely a bonus and a blessing. But. Like, my life is my hobby, man. I get up, mm-hmm. I do a fucking radio show for millions of people. Right. And then I go in the studio and demo something for, like, a top-selling artist. or I write some shit for, like, the hit-making artist. And then, you know, I mean, I kick it with the family, of course. Um, maybe at night I'm hosting something or maybe I'm reading lines for an audition. Like, my day-to-day is pretty ill. You know, it's pretty ill. It's yeah. a dream come true.
0: Facts. I mean, those are the best hobbies you can, especially if you're getting paid for it. For sure, for sure. And at the same time. If your life had a soundtrack, which three tracks would you pick?
2: Man, that's a great question. Uh, my Life Had a Soundtrack, which three tracks would I pick? Uh, The World Is Yours by Nas. Mm-hmm. Um, say A Little Prayer For You, Aretha Franklin. hmm and um stevie wonder overjoyed nice nice those some great ass records and
0: yeah. fucking the generation gap is insane on that one as well
1: I, i'm a music connoisseur so but i was like, gonna say know, <laughs> those records all have different vibes and mean different things mm-hmm. to me but like the world is yours is just it's true, man. It's like, get out there and get it, because the world really mm-hmm. is yours. Mm-hmm. Um, say a little prayer. Is like, you know, I mean, the open line, the morning I wake up, before I put on my makeup, I say a little prayer for you. Like, that's what I do, right? You got to praise right. the most high. So that's that. And then overjoy mm-hmm. is just the theme of, of everything. Like, man, mm-hmm. even through the tough, the tough times and the tough moments and the dark times, it's like, you got to be overjoyed overall because look at what your life
0: is exactly and then you mentioned the world is yours which you know what i mean he got a chance to work with his pops and that record as well as pete rock
1: yeah man yeah that's man great that's, great great
2: record
0: that's, uh, and shout out to oludara as well legendary big fact big fact you know what i mean and then after before and then after i'm and all the other jazz you got into radio and hosted it on sirius xm how did that process come about
1: Man, so out of everything on my journey, that was the part that I really didn't plan. I didn't even have any aspirations to be a radio personality coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, but through my brother DJ Eclipse, shout out to my brother DJ Eclipse from the world-famous um, nonfiction from the world-famous Rocksteady Crew. Mm-hmm. DJ Eclipse and I built a relationship when he was managing Fat Beats and I was going in there trying to get records on the wall in consignment And, um, you know, from then I did his show on NYU halftime show. And when he got his show on Sirius XM, some years later, he reached out to me. I had done the show a bunch of times and he was like, yo, so I think you should come co-host the show with me. And I was like, co-host radio. What? That don't make no sense. I'm a rapper. Like, why would I be doing radio? Mm -hmm. Um, but it was eclipse. Right. And I couldn't out and out say no to Eclipse because he had done so much for me. He's my brother.
2: Right.
1: And um also I didn't want to be closed minded. You know, I wanted to be mm-hmm. open to the possibility of something that wasn't in my scope. And so I, I gave it a try and I ended up really enjoying it. And I did Eclipse's show with him for like four years for free. You know, just because mm-hmm. I was getting my chops and learning and then at some point I was like, man, I do enjoy radio. I spoke to the powers that be there and I was able to get my own show. Which is now two shows, you know, one on mm-hmm. Hip Hop Nation and one on LL Cool J's Rock the Bells Radio, mm-hmm. and um, this year will be my tenth year having my own show.
0: You never know. I mean, the 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 power of, that's called the power of relationships, bro. Yo,
1: sure.
2: that's the power of relationships.
1: Year. I tell yeah. I tell when I speak to young people, I speak to people in the business or aspiring. I tell them like, yo, these relationships are everything. Don't burn mm-hmm. bridges. Don't ever get too hot that you you know that you untouchable. Um, don't look down on the janitor because he might be the CEO one day or she may be the CEO one day. So, like, relationships are everything in this business. You got to mm-hmm. show up and do the work. But if people know that they can count on you, they'll speak your name in rooms that you've never been in mm-hmm. and give you opportunities that you mm-hmm. never imagined.
0: Now, I always go back to what Biggie always said treat everything like an internship. That's a fact. Right. You know what I mean? don't don't be too big headed, and remember that a person's advice will take you as far as it took them. So be careful who you listen to.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, That's
0: real. I, I always. I think I you always... can
1: learn from you can learn from the people that you know you feel hit the nail on the head, and you can learn from the people that you that you feel didn't. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lesson in everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's you just gotta you know, sponge it up, man. Just sponge everything up, and just take that and move how you want to move at the end of the day. And then uh, you you also joined Rock the Bells Radio, you know what I mean? Did you get a chance to do, did you get a chance to go to the concert la- last year or this, was it last year? Oh, for
1: year? sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was amazing, man. The inaugural Rock the Bells concert with LL at the helm. Um, it was so dope, man. It's just so dope to see his vision for that brand mm-hmm. come to fruition. And, you know, yeah. just having that brand back in the right hands and... Mm-hmm. Working with LL, you know, anytime I see him, like he's a hero to me. So anytime yeah, I, mean, yeah. I get a chance to speak to him or see him and it's just that mutual respect and love is always so crazy because like, mm-hmm. like LL is really like a fucking rap superhero. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. you know, to, to be in business with him and to have a rapport with him and a relationship is really amazing. Yeah.
0: I'm, I, I probably passed you by because I worked at Rock the Bells as a photographer.
1: A word, yeah. I yeah. was backstage ninety percent of the time. We yeah, be, me too. I was doing, yeah. We've been doing like the radio live, so, um, you know, shout out to Mr. C, shout out to Roxanne, Shantae, yeah. shout out to Cass and Sha and, and and DJ Epps and the whole team mm-hmm. who was there. I snuck out a little bit to catch a little bit of a few performances. But yeah, for the most part, I was backstage
0: working hard. Yeah, I mean it was it was tough because they put you they put me in a team. They're like, yeah, all right, so you gotta capture the the food court. And I was like, fuck man, I wanna go on, i want to go on stage. I wanna <laughs> go on stage, bro. Like, so whenever they're like, all right, we're done with this section, I was like, I I, I must have sweated like so much that day because I was like, all right, put the camera down, to, go grab the phone.
2: Trying to run over,
0: yeah, to, run over okay. to the front of the stage and capture all these photos. I'm a photographer at the end of the day. I was like, he captured some of these photos with my phone and I captured like little Kim, Ice Cube uh oh, yeah. dipset and then, then I captured oh, yeah. um look my scoop dipset set uh R- R- Rick Ross the locks you know so I was like but I was sweating bullets and they were like yo where's Marin at where's marin at <laughs> and they're like oh, I'm right here I'm right here why are you sweating so much? I'm like
1: Oh, I don't know. It was hot hot that day. It was really hot that day. And it was, yeah, it was
0: hot as shit too. It was hot as shit that day. And then when they were like, all right, everybody go to lunch break. I was like, fuck lunch break. I'm going back to the fucking stage. I'm capturing this. That whole hour, I was like, capture, capture, capture. And then when I got a chance to meet LL really quick, that was probably the most iconic moment for me because LL was the reason why I fell in love with hip hop in the first place in 2000. Because the Source magazine was... He was on the cover when I first got the first Source Magazine. He was on the cover and I also started watching In the House.
2: <laughs> Great show.
0: Great show. So I started watching that. So when I got a chance to meet him, it was amazing. And then shout out to Claudine Joseph. She, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? I had a ch- I, is I've had goat.
1: her on... Ella's the GOAT, but Claudine is the GOAT
0: too. Claudine is the GOAT. I had a chance to to have her on my podcast as well last year. And then we just kind of built that relationship from there. And she was like, yo, if you're doing Rock the Bells, da 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 And then. Everyone was like, all right, our team was done. Our team was like, everybody go home. I was like, I'm not going home. Fuck that. I'm in Forest Hills. I'm I'm walking distance from from my boy's house. So it's like, I could stay here all night. So I got a chance to capture LL Cool performance
1: fire what an amazing performance too man jesus it is.
0: was it was it was great so for me that was out of every act out of there i was like the ll moment was the best one you know what i mean And i mentioned to him i was like yo if it wasn't for claudine i wouldn't have met you but he was such in a rush that i didn't want to tell him the. St- i couldn't tell him the full story of how <laughs> how inspirational he was and i didn't want to be like that guy because he had to run you know because it's his it's his it's his show
2: yeah so. yeah So
1: Ellen's really gracious though with his time, man. He tried to, even that day, he came out early to make sure that he got a chance to take pictures with people. And, you know, he didn't have to show up until 9, 10 PM, but he got there early and really walked the grounds and, you know, not only the rock the bell staff and everybody was working on the radio side, but just him, you know, being, being really generous and gracious with his time. He's like Mm -hmm. a real humble superstar. Mm-hmm. And uh,
0: Claudine inspired the fuck out of me that day. Like, I mean, she was running around rampant, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I was like, Claudine, can I get a moment? She's like, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. I got. I was like, fuck it. I'm gonna just leave her alone. Let let her be, bro. Just let her be. Because I needed some help with certain things. And she was like, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta do this. I gotta. She was running around. She was running. She, she didn't even catch a breath.
1: Like, nah, they yeah. were all like, everybody's working hard. Really to mm-hmm. make something like that go off without a hitch and be successful and you know, like, fix things on the fly. Everybody had to be at 110%. Mm-hmm. And I really mm-hmm. commend the whole team because, like, you know, even when we had our postmortem and we debriefed on it and we talked about things that could change and, and things that we thought worked really well, everybody was just so open to the idea of ways to improve it and not be caught up on, well, I'm L and this is what makes sense to me and this is what I say and it goes. And, you know, it's not like that with the does. It's really like a family And it's really, like, collaborative.
0: It was very collaborative. That's what I loved the most about it. I mean, because it was LL Cool J's first Rock the Bells concert when when he got the rights. He didn't have the rights before. So this was, like, his real... So for him to do it at Forest Hills was was a great thing, too. It's like he kept it home.
2: No no, no doubt. No
0: doubt. Which was great. Uh, Now, what is something that you have learned so far being in the industry that you still apply today?
1: Oh, man. So many things, bro. So many things, like, um you know be professional and be courteous I know like it's kind of like people say shit like that but it's like it goes a long way it goes a long way um I think that my work ethic speaks for itself so when somebody gives me a call they know hey Torrey's gonna get the job done he's gonna show up he's gonna be right and he's gonna give 110 percent so like those things and it's not just a hip-hop thing or a music industry thing those are ideals that can take you far throughout your whole life, no matter what career you are in, no matter what career path you have. It's like, you know, just the little intangible things is really what makes the best of the best. So, you know, I utilize that in my field, but I think it's something you can use in any profession and really drive from it.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, obviously the music industry has changed so drastically when it comes to like getting your music out there. Radio versus streaming, what are your thoughts on it and when it comes to promoting music and their importance between the two?
2: Um,
1: I think they both have positive and negative parts to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think radio is really important if you were looking to break an artist because nine times out of 10, your average consumer is not... You know, and I'm talking about like after that 18 to 24... These people get in their car and they drive to work or they go pick up their kids or, you know, like radio is still a really, really important medium for people to discover new mm. music and new artists. So I think that if you want to be a star, uh, radio is important. And I think that that comes with obviously the relationships that they have at major labels or maybe you got mm. somebody bankrolling it. But radio is important for that. Streaming is dope because although it doesn't pay as much as we would like it to, Streaming has this thing, what you call a long tail, which is like the discovery is never ending. It's like somebody could discover my album that I dropped in 2016 today Mm -hmm. for the first time, and it's a brand new transaction. Every time they stream it, whether I make a cent or a half a cent, it's money that I wouldn't have because once you sell somebody a CD or a vinyl or a cassette, Mm -hmm. It's really a one-time thing. You get your $20, mm-hmm. they get the product, they walk off, they have it for life. When mm-hmm. people stream your music every day, it's a never-ending revenue stream and mm-hmm. that's what the long tail is. It, like, it doesn't stop. And there's also the discovery process. Mm-hmm. Somebody could be walking down the block or turn on their TV and see a show and, oh, what's the song? Shazam it, go stream yeah. it, download <laughs> it. Now you got a new fan. So exactly. it's pros and cons. I was never like, that, well, I was maybe at the, at the very beginning, but I quickly learned to not be anti-streaming. Um, I'm anti-streaming rates, but as far as the actual technology, right. I think it's amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you get that ASCAP royalty, that's psh, yeah, you,
1: yeah, yeah. You're,
0: you're getting are, three. You're getting three types of royalties. You're getting the the, the 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 like the title royalty, the Spotify royalty. You're getting all the DSPs royalties, but you're also getting the ASCAP royalty
1: for sure. So so those are like sharp a songwriter, if you're a publisher, if mm-hmm. you own your master, you know, there's so many different ways to get paid in the business if you're on top of your business.
0: Mhm. Mhm. And then vinyls are starting to make a comeback as well. I'm, I'm noticing that a lot of people, you know, when they drop they they're like we got the new vinyl now, but it's on the platform, it's on the DSPs, but here's the vinyl as well. Like DJ Khaled For just sure. did like a whole vinyl thing, you know what I mean? He did like the the God Did vinyl, but he also did the God Did single vinyl which is the limited edition there's only a thousand copies of it you know what i mean Man, it, 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 it's, that rare, it's that rare it's that
1: rarity i never mm-hmm. put out a project without vinyl um no I, every album i've done and even a couple of the eps i've always given a vinyl option because i tour you know i tour, I, I tour right. a lot of time in europe and on overseas and so you know I know that market really enjoys having vinyl and
2: mm-hmm. I just
1: posted on my Instagram, I bought, somebody bought vinyl last week and I signed it and shipped it out and you know I just reposted it like they just got it today I guess so you know vinyl is still very much grabbing right. in, 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 in certain spaces especially mm-hmm. for like that independent boom bap type
0: of hip hop. Mm-hmm. I mean Europe loves boom bap. You know what I mean? They well, still sure. love that. They still love that 90s, you know what I mean? Whether that artist is not as washed up in America, they're making a killing out in Europe. Nah, for
1: sure.
2: For they're sure, making a sure. killing you know, when
0: it comes when it comes to touring like Pitbull. I always say I always put Pitbull as a reference. Pitbull, you know, nobody really listens to Pitbull around America, but overseas he's making a killing, bro. Every time I go over there, it's like they they blast Pitbull. They are just like Pitbull fans. And or they go back to the nineties with the biggie stuff and the Nas mm-hmm. and the, they just mm-hmm. keep that authenticity alive. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I
2: love
0: the, it. That's the beauty about touring overseas. You know, touring is a is a great revenue stream as well. For so sure. It's a great revenue stream. Uh now towards the end of the podcast, I have these ten rapid questions that require one worded answers. Um uh, and the first one is what is your
2: favorite word? Uh, my favorite word is real. What is your least favorite word? My least favorite word is cat. (laughs) Yeah, you're very, you're from the old school. So it's like, "Mm, I don't (laughs) like that
0: cat shit. (laughs) Uh, What turns you on in life?
2: What turns me on in life? Um, this one word. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um, passion. What turns you off in life? Cap. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's cap. So when you hear the, when you see the cap emoji, you're like, oh, here we go with this shit. (laughs) Uh,
2: What sound or noise do you love? Bird's chirping. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, baby's crying. Mm. now obviously you're
0: from new york so this is probably an essential one what is your favorite curse word Fuck. there you go (laughs) that's new yorker's favorite curse word fuck uh what profession other than your own would you like to attempt
2: teaching Mm. what profession would you not like to do retail and the last one is if
0: heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome home. Mm. Any last words you'd like to give to the people, any shout outs and where can they follow you on the social?
1: Well, uh, thanks. First of all, most thank you for having me. Thank and thank you for your time today. I uh, really appreciate this conversation. It was great. You know, just chopping it up and, and having this moment. Uh, at Torrey, Instagram, Twitter, Uh, you know, the, the, the normal places you can find me, you know, I'm not like the big social media guy, but if you want to kind of keep up with what I got going on there, at Torrey on Instagram and Twitter is good. I don't TikTok, uh, I don't Facebook really well, but those two I'm pretty good on. Mm -hmm.
0: All right, guys, this is another episode of the Mar and Ham show featuring the legendary Torrey.
2: Peace. Peace.